Welcome to the Peace Catalyst Podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I am a program director with Peace Catalyst International here in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. Yeah, hi everyone. I'm Keith Giles. Uh, my wife Wendy and I work with Peace Catalyst International in El Paso, Texas, also working to bring Christians and Muslims together. Um, and we are uh, honored to do our Peace Catalyst podcast. We're continuing our series on Muslim women of peace. Um, but before we do that, we want to uh, share with you guys every podcast. We've decided we want to start doing something where we share the sort of the peace quote of the week. And Becca, I think you had a really great one for us, right? Yeah, I found this quote by Shane Claiborne from his book, Common Prayer, A Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals, that says, Peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It is the act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice, the act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer, the act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. I really love that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I like that idea of interrupting injustice, right? That that's really, and also the part where he points out, because I think so often when, when I've had conversations with people about sort of how, how um, you know, when you talk about sort of nonviolence or, or nonviolent resistance, people assume that there's only two options. The option is if you see something happening that's you know evil happening, that your options are to one, do absolutely nothing and stand there and watch it happen or whip out your gun and blow the guy's brains out. Those are the only options, right? <laughs> right. But those are not the only options. And, um, and so I, I think it's helpful for us to, uh, that quote is great because it reminds us that there's actually all sorts of other options that are very creative ways of, um, certainly they're not doing nothing. You know, I, I really, I always say that there's no way to follow Jesus, um, and his calling to love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. And there's no way to, to do that and do nothing. <laughs> In fact, right. if anything, you're going to be really busy. There's all kinds of things you're going to have to be doing. But you may have to be a little creative about how you do it. Um, and uh, there's a whole lot of options between doing nothing and, and uh, doing violence. Absolutely. And I love what he says about disarming evil without destroying the evildoer, because if you're going to disarm evil, what does that look like? And how do you practically do that? So good. Yeah, that's really great. And you know, going forward on the podcast, I was just thinking, you know, um, it'd be really cool to maybe once in a while share some examples and stories of times throughout history where that has worked because it, it does work this whole mm-hmm. sort of nonviolent resistance um, people assume that well that doesn't work and so we won't try it but um, there's all sorts of examples in, like real world examples in history totally. where people have creatively used nonviolence mm-hmm. um, to, to it's very very effective actually when, uh, when it's done the right way and so yeah we really good to once in a while maybe we can we can share some of those examples for people. Um, and if nothing yeah. else, it just gives you good imagination for, oh, that was a good idea. What else could we do, right? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Right, so we are we are continuing our um, series on Muslim women of peace. And this has been such a wonderful series. We've had incredible uh, guests on the podcast. And today we're very excited to uh, continue this series. 
talking with Muslim women peacemakers who inspire us to walk this path of peace in our everyday lives. And, and what we're learning in these conversations, um, they're helping us understand how we can change the world around us. And we can become better peacemakers uh, in our world by working together. So yeah, it's really excited to continue the series and jump into our interview. Yeah, it's been such a great series. And we're honored today to have the chance to interview Rashan Abbas. Uh, Rashan is a Uyghur activist, and she is the founder and executive director of Campaign for Uyghurs. And we're just um, looking forward to hearing more of her story and the work that she does on behalf of all Uyghur people. We're so honored to have you here with us today, Rashan, um, to hear more about your work with Campaign for Uyghurs and just your personal story and um, how you decided to become an activist for the Uyghurs in China and um, how that all relates to building peace in our world. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got involved and um yeah, maybe a little bit about your work with Campaign for Uyghurs. Thank you so much. Thanks, Becca. I am humbled to have your time and to be able to uh, speak about the, what's happening to Uyghur people. Um, I am an Uyghur American, and I'm the sister of one of the, uh, the victims of Chinese government's modern-day concentration camps. Um I came to the United States in 1989, but even before that, when I was a young uh, university student, I started my advocacy work uh, while I uh, organized, I was one of the organizers for uh, uh, pro-democracy protests. We were fighting against the Chinese regime's oppression and the assimilation against the Uyghur people while the Chinese regime was treating Uyghurs as a secondary citizens. Um, and also ever since I came to United States, I continued my advocacy work for Uyghur people. And then uh, back in 2017, when the concentration, came, uh, concentration camps came up to the picture, um, the Uyghurs started to disappear and uh, we started to hear over 1 million Uyghurs were taken to concentration camps, but the international community was uh, silent. So we established Campaign for Uyghurs at the end of the year to, uh, to be the voice for those voiceless Uyghur people and the advocate for Uyghur people's human rights and the uh, democratic freedoms while we are trying to empower Uyghur women and the youth, uh, put special focus on the Uyghur women and the use uh, the atrocities that they are facing. Yeah. Now, Roshan, um, I'm aware of some of what's going on, but for our listeners who aren't completely aware of what is going on with the Uyghurs in China, can you give us just a little bit of an overview of what is it that's going on and why is it happening? Um, and then after that, maybe we can talk a little bit about what you've been doing to bring attention to it. But what, what's actually happening to um, to the Uyghurs in China right now? Yes, um, 
once again, Uyghur slaves are picking cotton. Uyghur women are suffering brutally um, while they are facing forced abortions, mandatory birth control, forced sterilizations. And the uh, millions of Uyghurs are taken to concentration camps where they are facing um, basically, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, the uh, victims in the concentration camps, they are facing intense uh, indoctrinations and they are forced to forsake their ethnic identity. And also they are subject to mental and the physical torture. And the Uyghur women are facing systematic mass rape, according to uh, the victims who are testifying. And also the Uyghur uh, uh, detainees are forced to take unknown medications. And so they are being used as uh, guinea pigs to testing different uh, medications and vaccines. Um, and also just the regular people like you and me, not the, the ones that are taken to the concentration camps, but just the people supposed to live just the normal, ordinary lives. They are also subject to um, constant uh, uh, surveillance, uh, ubiquitous securities like George Orwell's 1984. Mm -hmm. um, racism and cutting edge technology are being used to exert uh, the control over uh, the entire ethnic uh, uh, Uyghurs. Police checkpoints are every corner and the GPS tracking devices on every vehicle, and the uh, iris scanning on those checkpoints, and also QR scanning codes implemented on people's homes. And not only that, they are going even inside of the Uyghur homes, you know. Chinese state-backed media uh, announced, actually, 1.1 million Han Chinese people moved into Uyghur homes to live with Uyghur families, to monitor and to supervise their daily activities. While, you know, the most, most husbands are taken to the concentration camps or prisoners or sent to uh, uh, forced labor facilities, the Uyghur girls and women are subject to sexual abuse uh, with those assigned male Han Chinese uh, cadres. So, just imagine the worst, you know, like uh, nothing like this has happened in any part of the world. People face um, uh, persecutions or oppression. Then at least people used to have a home that they can go go to and they, they can hide in their own private sphere. But for the Uyghur people, they don't even have that. Yeah. Wow. It's so awful. And um, I know, um, Rashan, your personal story is very um, impacted by what's happening in China. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, if you feel comfortable sharing about um, your own family and, you know, how this has affected you personally? Yes. Um, on, uh, on September 5th, 2018, I spoke at the uh, uh, one of the think tanks here in Washington, D.C. I talked about the, the uh, conditions of the camps while I outlawed my uh, husband's family, my uh, parents-in-laws, three of my sister-in-laws, their husbands, 
my husband's 14 of his nieces and nephews and his brother and his wife, they all were taken to the concentration camps. So I talked about this at the uh, panel. And then six days later, my own sister, a retired medical doctor, my sister Gulshan Abbas was taken. Mm-hmm. And that's two and a half years ago. And we still don't know um, her whereabouts or her uh, conditions of her health. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no idea um, where she's being held. And she's a non-political person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's, she's taken as the uh, punishment retaliation for my advocacy work here in America. Hmm. Wow. I'm so sorry um, for your sister, Rashan and your in-laws. It's awful to hear what's happened to them. And um, yeah, we're just, we're with you in the struggle and the fight for, um, for human rights and for freedom for the Uyghur people. Yeah. Thank so- you. Yeah, you know, what what kind of work um, have you been doing? Uh, it seems, uh, I'll be honest, just hearing what you what you just shared about the level of oppression um, that's going on in China right now with Uyghurs. Um, it, I can, I, I just feel very helpless. I'm thinking, my goodness, what could what could we possibly do to uh, help people uh, who are suffering this way? But um, I know you've been doing a lot of work, and I'm uh, just curious what what does that work look like? Um, mm-hmm. How are you How are you trying to bring attention to this and to um, to advocate for for freedom for the Uyghurs? Yes, um, that's a very good question because, uh, as you said, you know it's really sad to hear what's happening, and the what I said is just the tip of the iceberg. Basically, the conscience of humanity is at test, and we are failing. The uh, citizens of the world are failing the Uyghurs. Um, so it's really sad to see that there is not uh, uh, outrage from the international communities. It's really sad to see uh, there is not a huge outrage from our Muslim brothers and sisters while China is waging war on religion. China's waging a war on, oh my God, sorry. The, uh, my neighbor just started mowing the, his lawn. <laughs> Is that noise? <laughs> Can you hear that from the background? Or? You know what? I don't hear, I don't hear okay. the lawnmower, but when you talk, mm-hmm. um, the lawnmower sound kind of bleeds through into your voice and merges, and so your voice sounds quivery. It sounds like... Brrr. It's Do not I... terrible, but... Okay, so... Um, Right now, as I mentioned, you know, my sister is languishing in a prison as a retaliation for our actions here. Um, and they, she's just one of the millions. And those millions of people in the concentration camps, they're all innocent. They are not charged with any crimes. And also, they are like elites of the society, the thought leaders, Mm. the professors, famous writers, actors, and the uh, teachers and professors and the uh, successful business people. So 
the Chinese regime is not only conducting genocide and getting away with it, but the Chinese government is being rewarded when you look at it, how the international community is continuing to do business as usual with China, supporting China's economy to more and more people. The International Olympic Committee is rewarding China by allowing Beijing to host 2022 Winter Olympics yeah. and yeah, mm -hmm. uh, show off the prestige of the uh, genocidal regime, the Chinese Communist Party to the world. Basically, like what uh, Hitler did while Nazi Germany is running concentration camps and conducting Holocaust um, in the 1936 Berlin Olympics, Hitler announced the opening of the world and showed the prestige and the, I mean, uh, they showed the power of the uh, Nazis. So we cannot allow history to repeat itself again. Um, as the United States, we have a moral obligation uh, to do more. We call these horrors by their name genocide as our government uh, determined, uh, made the determination uh, at its genocide. Mm -hmm. But what follows? Recognition does not allow us to continue business as usual. So we should stop doing any kind of business with China. We must take all available action legally and the otherwise to bring justice. We should sanction all of the uh, Chinese Communist Party officials they are carrying out genocide and we must ban all imports from the Uyghur region as a bare minimum uh, from our homeland. And we should be moving to cut ties with the Chinese Communist Party as a whole. And we should have absolutely no relationship with this kind of terrorist genocidal regime. Um, each of us has ability to say to our lawmakers, no, know that uh, we don't want to participate in the 2022 Olympics, the genocide games. No, we don't want our clothing, our food, and our entertainment to be tainted by Uyghur, innocent Uyghur people's blood, sweat, and their tears. No, we don't want the uh, Chinese Communist Party to be allowed to use our platforms of freedom to uh, spread lies and dehumanizing hate to defend genocide, they are using our uh, uh, Twitters, Facebooks, and YouTube um, while the Chinese citizens are not allowed to use that. Twitter, Facebook, and the, all other social media platforms are banned for the ordinary Chinese citizens, yet Chinese officials are attacking us and spreading libels and the uh, dehumanizing us using those platforms. So we see what happens when hate is allowed to flourish, which is why we must condemn the Chinese Communist Party and defend uh, all the Asians from hate. We need to separate them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we know how the Chinese Communist Party has hurt the even Chinese uh, people, ordinary people, and they can never allow anyone to spread, uh, uh, you know, uh, propaganda as they have about the racial identity. The, uh, 
the struggle of the Uyghurs is not just about us anymore. It's not just about the Uyghurs anymore. It's about the democracy and the freedom and the future of the humanity and the future of this free country that uh, we will uh, uh, you know, live for our children. The, the, what, you know, the, the type of world our children will inherit. So basically for the sake of all of us, this, for the sake of the future of the world, we must say, stop the genocide or compromise the uh, freedom and the democracy. Yeah. Oh, I love how, yeah, you're making that distinction between, you know, the Chinese people and the Chinese Communist Party, which is really oppressing, you know, multiple groups of people living within China. Um you mentioned that there were there might be some companies that are um, directly relate like contributing to uh, the oppression of the Uyghur people. Could you just ex- like elaborate on that a little bit? And um, what are some of those companies? And you know what should we look out for as concerned um, people? Yes, um, basically. There are a lot of um, the world brand famous, uh, the uh, globally renowned companies have Uyghur slave labor in their supply chains. Mm-hmm. Australia uh, Strategic Policy Institute um, reported uh, a year ago there are about eighty three globally renowned companies, uh, such as you know um, Nike, Zara. And the um, uh, BMW, of course, um, mm. Volkswagen. Volkswagen has a factory in our homeland. Um, and the Coca-Cola and the uh, Nike and the Apple, they are actually uh, actively lobbying against the Forced Labor Prevention Act. So while innocent Uyghur uh, human beings are forced to make Nike shoes and the bottom cokes and to produce PPEs. Mm. Uh, there are, uh, you know, the corporates here lobbying to continue to make a, a profit out of uh, the Uyghur slaves. So mm. it's really uh, frustrating um, to, to see the complicity of this free world. Um, the realities of uh, the horrific uh, crimes against humanity is happening when even one condition of the genocide is occurring. But in the case of the Uyghurs today, all of the five conditions in the UN Convention on the Prevention of Genocide are being met in the actions of the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. So all five are happening. And how those companies, those businesses, and the, uh, you know, some of the uh, scholars still defend Chinese government's actions. Um, It's really, you know, sadly, um, just yesterday, so there is this um, so-called economist from the Columbia University and the, uh, mm-hmm. he is defending Chinese communist regime's Uyghur genocide because he thinks that 
the United States has no right to speak because the United States is also violating human rights. Should we ignore active genocide to wait for a perfect nation to address the Communist Party's uh, genocide? You know, basically, yeah. The Chinese regime basically leveraging genocide apologists like Jeffrey Sash with the money that they invest for their projects that they are doing at the universities. And now these Americans, my fellow Americans, are becoming mouthpiece for the Chinese regime. What Jeffrey Sash said last night to this BBC report is exactly what the Chinese regime is saying. It's mm-hmm. almost word for word, the talking points used by the Chinese regime, which is trying to distract the world from its genocide of the, the Uyghur people, trying to put, point the blame somewhere else with whataboutism. And the, uh, you know, more and more people like that without realizing they are defending the Chinese regime is going to lead this world to the darkness, because imagine if uh, he was living 75 years ago, um, if he was around in 1940s, he would be defending Hitler because of their manufacturing economy, because his project in Columbia University is funded by uh, by China. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, um, it seems, uh, Rushan, like all that should really be necessary to exert pressure, uh, especially on these companies, is just bringing more attention to what's going on and the fact that these companies, as you said, are opposing legislation um, that that no one should oppose. I mean, why in the world would anyone oppose um, legislation that would condemn forced slave labor? Uh, I mean, how do, how do we, how could we possibly stand by and support a company that was against such a thing? And so I, I can't help but go back to, this is probably like five or six years ago, um, there was a report made about the conditions of factories um, in China, where the, uh, Apple, where Apple was, you know, using, um, uh, was it Foxconn, right, was uh, manufacturing Apple, you know, uh, iPods and iPhones and laptops and things like this. Yeah. And reports came out of the horrific conditions that people were suffering under in those factories. Um, there was like an NPR report and there were some, you know, it, it got attention basically in the media and only, only in two or three sort of high profile places. And that alone was enough to make Apple, you know, they, they had to address the issue. They apologized. They met with Foxconn. They worked to make changes there in, in those factories. And, and so it seems that, you know, if, if we can, if we as people can, um, raise attention, raise our voice, put pressure on these companies um, to make these changes, to stand up against these kinds of things. It, it would seem, at least, that there is an example in the past where that kind of pressure worked, um, or at least forced them to respond in some way um, to correct the issue or bring attention to the issue. So it seems like you're on the right track, um, that we do need to find ways to, to do this. But again, it can, it can be very difficult because um, unless you get the ear or the voice of someone who has a bigger platform, you know, sort of the one person at a time 
uh, plan of getting individual people upset about it enough to to tweet about it or blog about it or do a YouTube video about it or whatever doesn't seem to be by itself enough to make a change. So um, I first of all, I just want to say, Rashawn, thank you for being someone who is working to do that. Um, I guess my, my question would be in a practical way, if people are listening to this podcast, if they're just now hearing about some of these things and they want to say, you know, I want to join in, I want to help, what can I do? What are the practical things that individual people can do um, to make some kind of a difference, to bring more attention to this and to put pressure on some of these corporations, American-based corporations that are um, complicit in this? Yes, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, giving me the opportunity to say that because um, it is so important for uh, uh, each individual to to uh, do something to stop this. The world uh, never again. The the world once you know swear never again. But these words are proving meaningless unless each of us choose to be upstanders and take action. Um, there are a few things that people can do, uh, like, um, you know, basically stand up against the Chinese uh, government's uh, uh, genocide and the, uh, raise awareness, hold China accountable, and boycott Chinese goods. Those are the uh, small, uh, you know, steps people can take. And also, um, if uh, each of you who is listening this, please ask your representatives to uh, require the U.S. businesses to seize production of goods manufactured with forced labor, and also ask your lawmakers, politicians, to uh, uh, condemn Chinese Communist Party's genocide in foreign policy dealings with China, and write to International Olympic Committee demand that they should strip Beijing from the uh, hosting rights for the Winter Olympics. And the, uh, also there is a uh, uh, Forced Labor Prevention Act um, that's being reintroduced. So please call your uh, politicians, representatives, lawmakers to, uh, to vote uh, and sponsor, uh, you know, sign for that and the uh, vote yes. Um, and also there is a, a similar resolution has been introduced actually at the US House uh, resolution uh, 621. Uh, that's for the uh, uh, boycotting Beijing Olympics. That's also very important. And if you want to get more information on how to get involved, please visit our website, campaignforuyghurs.org. And there is a tab, advocacy resource library, that you can get all kinds of uh, information you need. And also we appreciate if you can uh, donate in our website to Campaign for Uyghurs so we can, um, uh, you know, your your uh, donations and the contributions will help us to sustain and the, uh, uh, you know, continue our, uh, our work advocating and the uh, promoting the human rights for Uyghurs. So anything helps, anything you can do to support our efforts to advocate. Thank you so much, Rashan. And I'm so grateful for you giving your time today with us. And, um, you know, we'll share all that information in the description of this episode as well. Um, and I know with Peace Catalyst, we've been doing these virtual gatherings um, 
with Uyghur activists, including yourself, um, just as a way to, you know, give people that opportunity to listen and learn and um, be educated about what's happening. And um, we also have a Facebook group called um, Uyghur Advocacy Group, um, co-hosted by Peace Catalyst and Campaign for Uyghurs. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, we just, yeah, pray and hope that we can all come together and see an end to the genocide against the Uyghur people. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, as I cannot uh, stop emphasizing enough, the dignity of the human life as uh, created by God is an important part of why we must raise awareness of uh, what's happening to Uyghur people. So we, I, we really appreciate uh, your uh, uh, community supporting and helping Uyghurs because it will not only stop with us if this... Um, uh, evident evil, the threat is not being addressed um, because you know this will not be the f um, this will not be just a stopping with us, and it will be the future for the entire world if this threat is not addressed and the, this uh, the evil is not stopped here. Thank you. Thank you, Rashan. That was such a powerful, emotional, and inspiring. Uh, conversation. I want to be able to do something to make a difference. If nothing else, just to add my voice to uh, those that are resisting what's happening to Uyghurs in the world today. Right. And I'm like thinking back to our peace quote of the week about interrupting injustice. Like how do we actively take part in that? And I think that's, yeah, that's, I've heard Uyghur testimonies multiple times before and each time it's just as heart-wrenching. It's just as um, awful to think this is the reality of so many millions of people's lives in China and how can we um, advocate for their freedom and, and human rights. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm right, right there with you <laughs> yeah. wanting to take action. Yeah, because I think, you know, it, kinda, it can kind of make you feel, <clears throat> at least for me, it, it makes me feel a little powerless. <clears throat> like mm -hmm. when I, I see this injustice going on, I see, you know, the, the, the Chinese government um, working to systematically, uh, you know, either physically erase people, a people group, you know, in a genocide, or, or for those that are left alive to kind of re-educate them, brainwash them. Mm -hmm. uh, erase them, their culture and their way of life from existence. And mm -hmm. uh, it just feels like, man, what in the world could I do to stop that? Or, you know, yeah. do we have any voice? Do we have any power? And so, you know, you feel very powerless in this. Um, but there are some things I think we can do. I mean, like Rashawn's organization, um, the Campaign for Uyghurs, mm -hmm. um, and we'll have the link in the show notes for that. But th their website at least can keep you up to date with what's happening. Um yeah, and they have really great um, action alerts for po like political advocacy. So you can co like contact your representatives, and there are so many different bills that have been put forth by government leaders to address what's happening. And I know, like I think we talked about in this interview, um, the U.S. has designated this as a genocide, um, and so that is good because the first step in addressing this injustice is acknowledging that it's happening. And so that's a huge, um, a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know one of the things that I think she mentioned this also in our conversation, um, there is a move right now um, to 
that's a house resolution to boycott the Olympics in Beijing, mm-hmm. um, which could be, you know, that that's one thing that could, could really help bring, raise more international awareness and put more pressure on China. Um, totally. And that we want this kind of thing to stop happening. Um, yeah, so absolutely. People can raise, they can add their voice to that as well. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, Campaign for Uyghurs, we've been, Peace Catalyst has been partnering with them to do these listening events and storytelling events with Uyghurs who are, who have left China and are now activists in whichever country they resettled in. Um, and just kind of hearing about their family members who were taken and they haven't been able to communicate with them, similar to Rashan and her sister. Um and so we've been trying to invite, you know, invite our networks into those events and um, and then Campaign for Uyghurs does advocacy trainings. So it's really cool that we do have these chances, these opportunities to bring people in to listen and learn and then discover ways we can take action. I just, I just encourage people to um, interrupting injustice, right? Finding creative ways to disrupt um, things that we see that are going on. Um, Absolutely, you know, sign a petition, uh, call your call your congressman or your senator, um, you know, add your voice to something. But but I wouldn't stop there. Again, mm-hmm. I think we could go on social media and we could post things. Totally. And I, I think that's so important because people do. I mean, we all use social media all the time and right. we're posting constantly about you know, food pictures, all these other things. And I'm constantly scrolling on Instagram. I mean, I don't know (laughs) about others um, and Facebook. So if we can utilize that for um, speaking up about this, I think that's so cool. And I do want to also highlight uh, Peace Catalyst work with the Uyghurs in the U.S. because we have um, staff in particularly Washington State. Bill, Bill Clark and Julie Clark are they lived in China and lived with Uyghurs for more than 10 years. And then when they came back to the States, they wanted to devote themselves to, you know, standing in solidarity and, and committing themselves to advocating for Uyghurs and human rights. And they've actually created this really cool um, wellness initiative for Uyghurs in the diaspora. And it's a, it's a collaborative effort across multiple organizations trying to, provide mental health care for Uyghurs who are experiencing vicarious trauma because of family members who've been taken or just, you know, knowing that it's your, your own people group who's experiencing this genocide. So, um, so they're kind of trying to meet needs with resources for mental health care for Uyghurs in the diaspora. So that's another really cool way if you want to support you know, Uyghurs abroad, you can, um, you know, you could support this Uyghur wellness initiative. And I think we'll link that um, in the yeah. episode description too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll put those links in the, uh, in the uh, podcast notes, but we'll also post it in the Peace, uh, Peace Catalyst Facebook group, which by the way, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not a member of the uh, Peace Catalyst Facebook, Peace Catalyst podcast Facebook group, we encourage you to join uh, that Facebook group as well. So that's where we'll continue conversations um, that start here and maybe get inspired and begin here, but we want to continue them over in the Facebook group as well. So join us over there. Yeah. And I, I also, in light of that, I want to honor the vulnerability that Rashan shared her story because I think it's, 
I would imagine that every time you share that, it's being like re-traumatized. And so I just want to honor that and just am so grateful for her being willing to take the time and, um, and energy to, um, to share her story and be so open about it. So, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, you know, you were saying there was a, a, a quote, there was something that she had said in that interview that really stood out to you. Yeah, she said, um, the conscience of humanity is being tested and we are failing. Citizens of the world are failing the Uyghurs. It's really sad to see that there's not a huge outrage from the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because we still, I think in the U.S., we are gaining more awareness and more um, people who want to take action. But I think largely around the world, um, especially like world governments are so complicit in um, what the Chinese Communist Party is doing because they don't want to risk business partnerships or trade deals or this Belt and Road Initiative that, um, you know, is benefiting these governments' economies. And so I think it's, it is really important for us as people, as human beings, to come alongside the Uyghurs and stand in solidarity and speak up and advocate even if our even if the governments aren't gonna do that like we have to be the ones to to take that on yeah i absolutely agree and i think if there is going to be any kind of you know sort of huge change um it's it's only going to be because there you know the individual voices like you and me and others listening to this podcast and people around the world um the more of us who add our voices, the more of us who, who raise awareness, the, mo- the more of us who speak out and say, we're not okay with this, you know, um, the more we put pressure on some of these corporations who depend on our buying power, uh, you know, for their profits. Again, all of those things, like this is really our, it, it's one of those things, again, we're going back to that feeling of helplessness. You know, you can feel like as, who am I? Like, oh, what really, what can I do? And, and you're right, by, by ourselves, we can't, but as it was one person, but, but if we all band together, there at some point becomes a tipping point where if enough of us uh, all together are saying the same thing, pushing back, saying no, uh, you know, boycotting products, um, calling, calling our representatives, calling for boycotts on the Chinese Olympics, um, mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. I think once you hit it on all these different fronts, um, again, both large and small, uh, the, you know, individual people doing things on social media, but also putting our voices together in, in, in bigger ways. Um, it's, it, that's the only way it's going to change. It's going to take, um, it's going to take a concerted effort of, of a lot of people coming together consistently in a sustained response, um, yeah until we basically just force their hand. And so, yeah. uh, and, and again, if, even if, if nothing else, uh, even if nothing changes, I want to at least be able to say, I didn't do nothing, right? Yeah. Um, I remember uh, several years ago, um, something I was working on that was doing child, uh, child advocacy for um, sort of children that were suffering around the world that was kind of a catchphrase we came up with, which was that, you know, we can, we can only fail if we do nothing. And I think mm-hmm. that's, in this case, this is also applies, right? The, our only failure would be if we, if we heard about this and we were made aware of this 
and we just sort of changed the channel or, you know, yeah. went on with our life and did nothing. That to right. me is the biggest failure. So yeah. um, I'm, I want to at least do something <laughs> and I want to yes. do all that I can do um, at the end of the day. So at least if nothing else, I can sleep better at night knowing I did all that I could do. That's so good. And if we come together and all of us do that, we could really have a, an impact. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And for more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work, please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org. Thank you.